Welcome to another episode of the DH Effect, the Decided Heart Effect, with me, Hillary, and my co-host, Sonia. And today, oh, we are joined by such a special guest. You know, I'm going to start with this story. Normally, we just go right with an introduction, but I have to start with this story. More than 10 years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, I was standing in front of a room doing my first keynote, one of my very first keynotes, and I sat down at the end of, the, of it next to this beautiful woman who was quiet but had these great conversations throughout the day with me and I learned so much from her. And then all of a sudden at the end of the day, she disappeared and I looked around and I thought, you know, where did she go? And soon there is this strong, powerful woman coming down the middle of the aisle, full climbing gear with a mask on for breathing stands up on the stage and proceeds to tell us about climbing Everest, not just Everest, but all seven summits. And we'll explain what that is in a moment. And off comes the mask and there is Laurie Schneider and absolutely fills my heart with more inspiration than I can even begin to tell you about. And so ever since then, there have been moments where she just does not leave my mind and my heart and it has been an honor and a privilege here. This woman that was sitting next to me made an imprint from that day forward in how I live my life. So, oh, Lori, thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thank you, Hillary and Sonia. I'm so glad to meet you. And I'm very honored and humbled that you would invite me to be part of your show today. So thank you. And I think we're a bit, we're just a little bit shaken because we've had some conversations before we hit record and already Hillary and I are just like in tears. <laughs> and, you know, where where are these tears coming from? And and for me, and I know for Hillary, for you as well, it's just this, this sense of an inspiration in such a, a, a powerful way. Um, and I've, you know, if you looked at Lori's website, you're gonna see a lot of interviews about her and her climbs. Um, and for me, the way that I just connect with you, Lori, is this sense of redefining what power looks like, that you have such great humility that like, like Hillary, you're, you're, you know, that you're at this conference and here's this wonderful woman having conversations and all of a sudden that image of power shifts, you know, you're wearing the gear and underneath all that gear is just such the power of humility and, and nurturing and fighting that mindset. So, sorry, I'm going off a tangent. Would you please help us understand, you know, in terms of the climbs, what were the, what was one of the moments that shifted where you said, yep, I'm going to be doing these climbs? We'd love to start there. Well, the very first climb that I ever did was in 1993 with my dad. And he said, Really, back when I was in high school, he said, someday I want to go to Africa and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, you know, I love my dad dearly. He's uh, going to be 89 this year. And so we decided that uh, many years later, I was on a trip around the world and we were going to meet in Africa and climb Kilimanjaro. And should we make it, we would sum it on his 61st birthday. Well, we did, and we barely made it to the top, barely made it, you know, just hooked arm in arm and, and almost crawled to the top, literally. And that was the start of that real feeling of 
you know, empowerment and, you know, just thrilled about how exciting it can be on a mountain. And the fact that I did that with my dad started this whole really deep bond with my dad in motion. And then seven years later, he wanted to do another mountain. That one was really difficult. Luckily, I made the summit. He got altitude sickness and didn't. But that started my notion of climbing the seven summits. So that that was really the start of it all. Can you explain to our viewers and our listeners what the seven summits are? Some people, I mean, the, those of us who are adventure seekers are like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And those those who are not are like, what, seven summits? I don't know. Is that a restaurant? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a restaurant. <laughs> seven Summits refers to uh, climbing the highest peak on each of the seven continents. So in Africa, you've got Mount Kilimanjaro. In the United States, Denali, which used to be called Mount McKinley. It's now back to its Alaskan name, Denali. Uh, in Asia, it's Nepal. South America, Mount Aconcagua. In Australia, it's Mount Kosciuszko. Um, let's see. Oh, what what continent am I missing? Oh, in Antarctica, the Vincent Massif, and I can't think of if I missed one. But uh, I think you covered all the. And when you said Nepal, for those who like, yes, Everest. you climbed. Yeah. You climbed Everest and. We are definitely getting there because your stories from Everest are absolutely chilling and will stay with me for the rest of my life. But before we get to that point, this almost didn't happen. Yes. Uh, in 1999, I woke up one morning in January and half of my body had gone numb overnight, literally half of my body as if someone had drawn a line. And I called the doctor and he said, if, if you're still numb tomorrow, come in. So I went in the next day and they tested me. They thought maybe I'd had a stroke. And then they thought, you know, that it could have been MS, Lyme's disease, lupus, uh, brain cancer, all these things. So for about three months, they ran multiple tests and eventually they realized that one of the very first tests had been misread and I indeed had multiple sclerosis. But during that three month time period, I mean, I had four uh, lumbar punctures or spinal taps as people call it. And, and they were getting ready to do a brain biopsy thinking that I had lesions on the brain and, and possible brain cancer. And, I remember being wheeled down a hallway, you know, just minutes away from having my skull cut open. And I heard my name being paged and it was a university hospital. First day of every month, your team switched uh, different doctors and the new doctor was calling me and he said, I don't think you should have this test done. I, I think they've misread something, but and I said, well, what do I do? You know, I'm in the gown. I'm being wheeled in a wheelchair as I'm, you know, answering back in the days of paging telephones. And he said, go to the desk, ask for scissors, cut the wristband off and go home. I did. And they 
realized within a short period of time that I indeed had MS. So during that time period, I had been training for a climb of the highest peak in South America, Mount Aconcagua, with my dad. And so I didn't even tell my family what was going on because I was afraid they would say, you can't do this climb. And I thought, if my legs are no longer going to work, because one doctor thought maybe in a year's time I'd be in a wheelchair, I thought I'm not going down without a fight. And and when I eventually did tell my dad, I said, I have to prove to myself that I have some control over what's happening. So I I ended up going to South America. Dad got altitude sickness partway up the mountain, but I did summit on the millennium, New Year's Eve 99, 2000, almost exactly a year after the day that I woke up numb. For me, you know, I, you've, you've said um, in a previous interview that what was the most negative thing in your life became the most positive thing. Mm-hmm. Again, such a powerful thing that I resonate to. And, and the literal, like, literal force of overcoming a spiritual, emotional mindset fear. Can you talk more about this negative thing in your life that is the most, that became the most positive thing? Well, it, it, I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen. And I hid it from the world because I was embarrassed. I felt ashamed that I wasn't the person that I thought I was. I was afraid people would judge me. And it was all fear-based. And when I got to the top of that mountain, I thought, if you are strong enough to climb a mountain, you're strong enough to be honest with yourself Mm -hmm. and with others. And I got a phone call from a newspaper and they said, oh, we want to interview you about your climb. And I went down there and I walked in and I said, I just have to tell you, I have MS. And she said, whoa, whole nother interview. Here we go. (laughs) And it came out in the paper, you know, two days later. And I felt it had lifted my spirit because so often our world is made up of all these little labels that we give ourselves or other people give us and they can empower us or they can really take away our strength and and once i didn't give fear power anymore it really enabled me to move forward in my life and i feel it gave me permission to try things that i never would have tried i had no intention of you know climbing everest ever or even going to antarctica to climb the vincent massif i thought oh i'll do the lesser mountains but i'm not good enough to do the rest of these but i thought you know i got to the point where what i thought was the worst thing in my life gave me the power to live my best life Uh, I, what I love, and there's so much of your story that I'm just like, I'm brimming over with wanting to spill all at the same time. So I almost don't know where to go next (laughs) because, because I think what is so powerful, you know, you talk about empowerment through adventure and we, we cannot leave without talking about Everest, but I have to just sit in this empowerment through adventure for a minute. And, and not only did you take and embrace that and, and inspire others to do the same, by the way, 
I contacted you when I decided to do rim to rim and you gave me some tips and that was the same thing. If I can, it, it changed my life because I thought if I can do this really, really hard thing, I know it's not Everest, but if I can do this really, really hard thing, like bring it world, I've got this, right? If you can face your fear and you are so much of the inspiration behind that. Now you do that for others as well. Um, so tell us a little bit about empower, empowerment through adventure as well. Well, it, the business empowerment through adventure works in a couple ways. You know, this week I've been communicating with a young woman in Canada who was diagnosed with MS and she's afraid her life is over. And I, I those are the conversations that I love to have with people because we need to reassure each other that we have the strength and the power to move forward again. I did it on a, a little bit larger scale back in 2011. I thought, I'm done climbing mountains. I finished Everest. People would say, what are you going to do next? It's like, I've done enough climbing. I finished my goal of climbing the seven summits. And my new goal really is to just help other people find their power. So in 2011, I brought a group of 28 people to Africa to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which was my first mountain. And I thought, let this story come full circle. Half of the people in the group, 14 out of the 28, had either MS or some had Parkinson's disease. The other 14 were companions so that everyone went with a friend who was their person. And our goal was, yes, we, we would hope to, to reach the summit, and 21 of the 28 did, but the goal was to mostly give support and strength and teach each other, illness or not, that you've got it within you to do more than you thought possible. And that's, that's the story. Just believe in yourself and give yourself permission to try because I didn't think I would be able to summit Everest. I didn't care. I let go of the outcome because we can't try if, if our only measure of success is reaching the goal that we set for ourselves. How many times have I failed? How many times have we all failed? You know, I don't care if I reach the goal. I just have to be strong enough to say, hey, I want to try. And, and I, I shared with, you know, Sonia and Hillary earlier that about two years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. You know, you think MS is the worst thing that ever happened. And then all of a sudden the cancer label comes. And I thought, you got this. You know how to move forward because you're not going to get just one bad thing happening in your life, whether it's the death of your loved one, or if it's an illness or a family member, you know, you don't just get one thing in life. And so you become layers of resilience and you have to build those up because when one is ripped away, you've got to have that strength still left within you. So, you know, um, <laughs> I'm just choked up the entire interview. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, what, you know, I think about, gosh, do we have to wait 
until these huge, huge moments happen in our lives and, and later in our adult lives. I am thinking about my own childhood and really celebrating my own father because I was a very fearful girl. I had a lot of anxiety. It was a single parent dad and I was worried all the time. Um, and on the weekends, my father made it very, very intentional to go drive up to our backyard mountain, local mountain. And, and I'm reflecting now because he would, I have a twin sister who's the adventurer. She did search and rescue. She was just like, you know, what we would think of it as, a, as an adventurer. And he would be like, girls, I was seven, eight years old. And we'd be like, yes, Papa, because we were very obedient because he's German. <laughs> he would be, he'd point up to this boulder rock climbing thing. And he says, I want you to climb up that. And I would be fearful, so afraid. And it's every weekend. And, and now I know that it wasn't a playground, it was building the resilience. And that these these were my summits. <laughs> these were my small summits, constantly addressing the fear that I had and overcoming that and preparing myself for what adulthood might look like. And, you know, I, I think in terms of um, the empowerment program that you have, perhaps it's also role modeling that for our younger people too. Yeah, I think that that's, that's my hope through all of this. I mean, I took a couple of groups of people with MS and Parkinson's disease because they're they're both neurodegenerative diseases. So I've I've have been blessed with some amazing friendships in the Parkinson's world as well. But we did some helicopter hiking in British Columbia in Canada a couple years in a row and it was my hope that a lot of young people would get involved because they're the ones that have not had these downfalls in life for the most part. The older you get, the more things that happen and you get used to the ups and downs a little bit because roads are bumpy in life. But I think with young people especially, we have to remind them that you know, your strength lies within. And for them to see people decades older still going and, and not giving up, it it's wonderful for the younger people to remind themselves that your power is what you decide it to be. I, I love that so much. And I, you know, you don't, you don't go by the labels at all. You don't, you, you go after your dream. You, you make the impossible possible with what you do. But when you did Everest, I mean, there's some statistics in there, sister, that are pretty darn amazing. I believe that you were the first person with MS. Can you tell us about some of the statistics of like defying the odds with Everest? Well, it's yeah, I was was fortunate enough to be the first person with MS to reach the summit of Mount Everest. There had been other people that had attempted it at the time, men and women, but uh, I was it was my day. It was my day and Everest does call the shots. So some people get sick, the weather can be bad, whatever. Um, when I summited in my age group, there were only uh, about five other women in the world without MS, just 
in general, five women in the world who had completed the seven summits, mm. you know, because because I was 52 at the time. So, um, but generally about one in four make it, you know, 70 or 80 percent. You know, it's it's not it's not an easy mountain. And, you know, there are still multiple bodies on the mountain. So it, it's a scary place to be if you let the fear in. And that was my biggest lesson on Everest. Every morning I would get up and and my mantra was don't let fear in because everything was scary. Every single thing was scary, you know. And so you you had to go there believing that this was your moment to give it your all. No matter if I made it a week or the full two months that the climb took. So three months, really. So so anyway, it's. There are and there are three there are three things that I still that still really stand out to me. There's so many, of course, but like three about that 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 I actually have repeated over and over and over again. One of them is is you just said there were bodies. You were passing by people that we have read about that have done these incredible things. There are books written about, and then you're walking past their body. Mm -hmm. yeah. How? <laughs> You're so numb by then. Um, summit, Literally and figuratively, probably. <laughs> summit night, you start at 10 at night. It's, I think it was about a 16-hour day you know so you're you're going 10 hours to the summit through the through the darkness so i didn't see this this scott fisher famous climber on the way up because you're walking with headlamps and you're hooked into a rope and you're using your ascender and you're going for hours and hours and hours until the sun even breaks get to the summit storm was coming our two of our guides out of the five, two of them had to turn back because of altitude issues. One had uh, coughed so hard he broke ribs and had to turn around. The other guide, his toes were, you know, in in real danger of frostbite. He had to turn around. So anyway, we make it to the summit. Those that are left coming back down, and we're almost to high camp. And I saw this this snowsuit in the snow partially covered with snow and and curled up and i remember asking the sherpa who was accompanying me you know what is that and he said well that's that's my friend and i said who and he said scott scott fisher and bodies are oftentimes left where where they have passed away because it's too dangerous for someone to take them down. And so I still remember getting back to my tent and thinking, this is this is life and death. And I remember calling my dad and saying, you know, I made it. And he said, now we've got to get you down because that's the most dangerous part of any climb. So which if, if I could oh. just um, the one curiosity um, that I have is, you know, when, when in a previous interview, you said um, that the climb meant something very different. The experience was very different for you. I think it was a climb where um, you celebrate, you were honoring your mother. 
I think it may be the ownership of MS and the experience changed for you. And, and of course, the curiosity of what that experience turned out to be within each mountain. You know, um, you mentioned your legs can only go so far. Mindset gets you over the hump, like the fight at the end. If, if we could end on that, I think Hillary might have something else after me. And then oh, I'll yeah, watch. no, I had the two other things that I wanted to make oh, sure right. that I. <laughs> well, the mountain you're talking about was uh, Mount Elbrus in Russia, which is actually the highest European peak. It's on the border of, of Europe and Russia. But my mother had died six months prior and I had canceled the climb at, to come home and be with my family. It was a very unexpected death. And six months later, my dad said, mom was your biggest fan. She would want you to go. And so I joined another group. When I got to the summit, I remember looking up saying, you know, goodbye, mom. And, and just crying my eyes out and you know, tears rolling down my cheeks and freezing. And, uh, but it was a time of letting go of my sadness for my mom and the sadness of the MS diagnosis that had happened two years prior and just starting fresh. And every mountain after that, I felt like I was taking one step after the other for the people with MS, for my mom, all those people that were behind me. But when I summited, I, I no longer was sad. It wasn't a goodbye. It was a hello to the heavens, you know, hello to my mom and and thank you to all the people with MS because this can be a, an awful disease for many, many people. And I am one of the very lucky ones. And, you know, it's my legs ended up being my friend, but for many people with this disease, it is not. And they have a hard time walking upstairs, let alone up a mountain. And they're the ones that gave me the courage to do it. They were the ones that got me going step by step. So I thank them because I could not have made it without the motivation and the letters that I got. Do this for us. Do this for us. Let people know what the face of MS can be to give us hope. But I am just forever grateful to all of those people fighting with this disease or any disease. You know, life can be really unfair, and I, I've been lucky, really lucky. You 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 say you're lucky, but it's just so again, you, it, such humility in in what you say because the courage that you have had is just uh, it's it's absolutely astounding to see and. You know, I, uh, it would be such a great place to end, but I, I, I just have there, I have to share the two and, and have you share. Sonia, we brought up her mother. Please, if you don't mind, what do you, what do you leave at the top of the summits for your mom? Well, my mom had always had this little thing that she did, taking change out of her purse and dropping it on the ground because she said it makes somebody's day, you know, kids to, to find money on the ground. And she said, and I don't just drop the little stuff. <laughs> I just empty out my pockets, you know. And uh, so anyway, every time I go, my, my dad and I always had this thing where we called it pennies from heaven. If we found a penny someplace, we always picked it up. 
So when I go to the top of a mountain, usually, I know you're not supposed to leave anything, but <laughs> a penny way, way, way down into the snow at the summit. And it, it's like, this one's for you, mom. Mm. So. I love that. I love that so much. And um, the last thought, and, and then I'll, I'll, um, I'll pass it over to Sonia to close this out, but I don't want to, I just want to sit with you all day and we are coming to visit because just being in your presence is, um, is just, I feel like it can do anything today. Um, but I think this is so important and I can't tell you how many times I have repeated this over my life since I have met you. You got to the top of the world, literally the top, the very top of the mountain. And you would think you could see the world, but you couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't. And I just, if you don't mind sharing um, what it was like, and then I don't know if you remember what you said that day, but what you said you did, what do you do when you get to the top of the world and you can't see anything? Well, you're right. I couldn't see anything. And that you know the sun had risen and you could see clouds down in the valley below mount everest so as we're approaching the summit those last steps and the last hours you know it, they're excruciating really <laughs> because you're so out of energy you're so tired and and the guy behind me says we have to hurry you know because a storm is moving up all those clouds in the valley were rising and we got to the summit by the time we got there it was a whiteout you couldn't see anything and so after 16 years of dreaming of standing on top of the world I get there and I couldn't see a darn thing and, and I had a satellite phone and I took out the phone because it was the plan that I would try to call my dad from the summit. And I still remember getting the phone out. And, you know, this is before the days of cell phones. So I've got the satellite phone and I got the number dialed in and it says no service in China. And I'm thinking I'm on the Nepal side, not the China side. <laughs> and, um, so I'm dialing and dialing and redialing. And all of a sudden I hear my dad's voice on the other end as the guide says we have to get down you know it's getting dangerous and i hear my dad's voice and i said dad dad and he said lori lori where are you and i said i'm on the summit and he started crying and i started crying and it was just so emotional because he had been my inspiration to to even start this whole climbing idea and so, you know, he, you know, he told me we got to get you down safely and I hung up and, and, you know, the guides let us back down, but it was really emotional. But I, I did feel like, you know, yes, I can't see anything, but what I saw was that this woman who woke up afraid 10 years prior, having been, you know, diagnosed with MS, woke up numb, I thought, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid to live my life at all, at all. And I just, I have to, I have to teach others to not be afraid to live their own life either. And 
yeah, so it was a time to go inward when you couldn't see outward, but it was a, a more important view that I needed to see. And that was that somewhere along that 10 year time period, I'd, I'd gained the strength to survive my partner of 20 years dying three years ago and the diagnosis of cancer and going through infusions and the fear of being in a wheelchair, which never happened. And, you know, all those things that could define you, you have to make a decision to find joy in life again. And that's what I've done. And I'm in a very happy place right now. I, I have a wonderful man in my life and I'm moving forward one step at a time. And that's all any of us can do one step at a time. I know, uh, I know, I know that I will, I will forever remember the line that stays with me. Uh, what do you do when you're at the top of the world and you can't look out and see anything you look within? Mm. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Can we transition out? Can we just, can we just have this as the, like the filibuster of, of decided heart effect? We'll right. <laughs> So, Lori, I know that our listeners, I want to continue the conversation. Our, our listeners and um, viewers want to continue the conversation. How can they, how can they find you? Where do they find you? Well, my website is laurieschneider.net and uh, through email as well. It's, you know, I'm a, a one woman show and anybody that writes to me, I always write back and they're they're very private. No one sees them and and feel free to reach out because it's sharing our stories with each other and you just need to be heard. I didn't know anyone that had MS when I got diagnosed and now I know hundreds and many, many, many of the people with MS are, you know, stronger by far than, than I am. But, uh, it's finding that inner strength and and so you know reach out reach out to your family reach out to your friends don't don't be embarrassed by your labels rise to a label that says i'm courageous enough to deal with this and so so beautiful okay. thank you so much for sharing the, the, your story the courage it took for you to to that first moment you revealed the story of MS and then um, I just I am just so grateful for you um, so everyone thank you so much for joining us uh, with this episode you got to meet Laurie Snyder I hope the conversation continues um, we do hope that you do feel inspired today to climb your summit however that might be um, don't forget to subscribe because you get to meet these incredible people existing on our earth, pushing us to become better versions of ourselves. Um, we are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the things where you listen. Um, and uh, we just want you to take the courage and have and live a decided heart. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>